0: Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What is the first brand as a young boy that you remember making an emotional impact on you? I would say my
1: my big aha moment as a kid, the brand I remember really having a, was Pepsi. I mean, I'm a child. I would say I'm a child of the '80s, but I'm a child of the late '70s. But my my formative years were in the the mid '80s when you had Pepsi at the height of the new the the next generation, the Michael Jackson, um, the cola wars. That is my was my intro to advertising and marketing. And so I remember being just bowled over by some of the work that Pepsi did you know, in the eighties, oddly enough, I go to work for young, which is a PepsiCo spin off yep. years later. So, so, you know, uh, full, coming first full circle, but that was the one that truly for me, when I look back of uh, sort of maybe sparked my interest in marketing before I knew I was interested in marketing.
0: Hi, I'm Jim Stengel and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it. And the profits follow for seven years. I was the global marketing officer for Procter and Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Jeff Jenkins, the EVP of global marketing at Carter's Inc., the $3.5 billion buy sales market leader in baby and children's apparel. Their brands include Carter's, oshkosh Bagash and a host of other brands, some exclusive to retailers. Carter's roots go back to 1865. It now sells its brands in the U.S. and Canada through 1,000 company-owned stores and through all major retailers. My guest Jeff has a most unconventional career path. He was an actor, a tennis player, he worked at NASA in marketing, Yum! Brands, Whole Foods, and CKE Brands that is Hardee's and Carl's Jr. This is Jeff's second CMO role. He has been CMO at Carter's for nearly three years. The most conventional part of his career is his education. A bachelor's from University of Virginia and an MBA from UCLA Anderson, this is my conversation with a guy who was actually in my class when I taught at UCLA. Here's Jeff Jenkins. Jeff, welcome to the CMO Podcast. Way before you were a CMO, you were an actor. So we have (laughs) to start there. What got you into acting and why did you walk away from it?
1: So uh, my acting career started totally by accident. I was at the University of Virginia uh, where I went to college. And at some point during there, there was a filming or I should say photo shoot for Abercrombie's first ever catalog and they were pulling kids in and out of uh
0: the so you're a very handsome young man that's what that's saying
1: i, I don't know i was uh, let's call this at best i was a background performer uh, i was not i was not the hero uh the the main main person but it opened my eyes and got me uh, a couple other opportunities to go do some 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 things and then suddenly it became a little bit of a, of a career and i got cast in a play That went on for two years i did it 600 and something times over two years it was nominated for the pulitzer prize i can't sing it's not a musical but it was an incredible time and it was moving it was going to new york well i got to new york and was living in new york and i was sort of bored because you only have to work two hours a day you do the show from eight to ten at night you show up at seven and uh my i have a high internal motor i wanted to keep doing things and so i got a temp job at mtv And um, that temp job happened to be working for the first ever creative director for MTV who had left MTV, retired and come back. His name was Fred Seibert. um, And he created the phrase, I want my MTV. And he'd come back to do, take what was then the Nashville network into what is now, what became Spike TV. Um, And he was doing a rebranding effort. And I was a lowly sort of temporary worker that then got asked to stay on and got to work on a, a bunch of, uh, marketing promotions. And it opened my eyes to the world of marketing. And I was like, this is what I want to be doing. This is so exciting. You know, we were doing man on the street interviews. We had sort of free creative control because MTV was, we were this big in the the scheme of MTV's world. Um, and you know, he, he sort of took me under his wing and and taught me a lot without really probably even knowing my name, but he was just a very kind hearted individual. And so that opened my eyes and I said, this sort of acting thing was a total accident. But it taught me amazing things about teamwork, about responding and listening to the audience, knowing your your consumer, your audience, how they're responding. Taught me a lot of great things, but I just was hooked on marketing from the time I started was at wow. MTV. So what was the show? Uh, it was called Big Love, which is no relation to the Showtime show. It was a retelling by a playwright named Charles Mee. Um, it was a retelling of Aeschylus's The Suppliant Women, which was the first known play that's it, still on the books. It's about fifty. Cousins who are engaged to fifty sisters, and sort of the um, shenanigans that go on. It was retold in sort of actually an MTV style way. WWE, the floors were trampolines. It was it was very wild. I was actually throwing circular saw blades against a wall halfway through the show. It was uh, it was a big hit. Um, but then nine eleven happened, uh, and Broadway shut down right as about we were we were about ready to transfer to Broadway.
0: What a great start to a career. Yeah,
1: it was, you know, it was a, a fun thing. And, you know, that led to a few things on TV here and there and Star Trek and a couple other fun things. But then, you know, my wife looked at me at one point as I was working in the marketing world and doing this acting thing. And she said, is this, is this acting thing serious? She was my then girlfriend, uh, now wife. And, and, I, and she was like, cause I don't Good really question
0: don't think, by that girlfriend.
1: I, yeah. She said, do you really think you're going to be a movie star? And I said, I really don't think so. And she said, I think it's time to pivot.
0: Wow. Great coach. Listen, I want to stay with your career path for a minute because you've also been, I, I think I have this right, a traveling tennis player. You worked at NASA. You earned your MBA at UCLA Anderson. You worked in quick serve restaurant. You worked in grocery retail and now baby and toddler apparel. So this career path just gets better and better. So Jeff, I want you to Share with us what the red thread is in this really interesting career journey.
1: Yeah, you know it's one of those things that you, when you look forward, it's hard to see the dots and how they connect. But when you look back, you start to pull on that thread Mm -hmm. and see, oh, now now I see how it all comes together. I've always been curious about what makes people tick. You know, uh, I used to when I lived in Los Angeles and when I was working at NASA, I worked for the Jet Propulsion Lab, which is the home of unmanned robotic exploration of space. So thank the Mars rovers, um, the the Hubble telescope, things of that nature. They're all based out of um, uh, Pasadena, California. And I worked there for eight years. I'm insatiably curious, I want to know how things work. I want to know what makes uh, what makes people tick. And that's sort of what's followed me when I was a tennis player. uh, In high school, uh, I fell in love with this this band overseas brought the CD home to the United States and wanted to share with all my friends, it was ace of base, all that she wants is another baby. Um, And it became popular here, not because I had anything to do with it. um, But the A&R people at one of the major records uh, thought it was a good song. Um, But I've always been intrigued by what what makes people tick and what makes people decide on their choices, and then how how I could help influence or or shepherd brands into that space. So at NASA it was all about people want to know how how the universe works mm-hmm. and what an exciting thing and you had unbelievably smart people like smarter than I could ever imagine even being but those incredibly smart people didn't always have the skill set to be able to translate what they knew to the general public that were so insatiable for how the universe works so I felt I had this opportunity to um you know help translate some of that into you know what I would say is general population speak at that point, I, I also found that, you know, the government life of work wasn't for me. And I went back to the UCLA Anderson. I ran into a really fabulous professor there that taught a brand marketing class that you, you may have heard of, uh, Mr., uh, Mr. Professor Jim Stengel, uh, in, in my days. And, uh, you know, I'm very I,
0: proud I, of the student, by the way,
1: uh, <laughs> you for know, the audience
0: was, I taught at UCLA for five years after I left Procter & Gamble.
1: And uh, I was I was fortunate to be in Jim's first class. Uh, I think it was your first year. was a pilot and uh it was it was the thing that turned me on into really how to move it into consumer brands so that year i got into um taco bell i thought i'd be there for two years um, but what i found was an insatiable love of retail i love how fast the world works i love how you can you have control if you own the channel you own this and so it was really just around following those dots and uh i was at, at taco bell almost a decade i was overseas at kfc australia um, I started a new brand for Yum. It just was constant learning, always asking, give me the assignment. Someone once gave me the advice. I think it was Greg Creed at Yum that said, there's no traffic if you make your own lane. And so for there, that's been the thread of my career is finding assignments that simply didn't exist before I took them. So whether it would be starting a new brand called US Taco Company that, by the way, was an epic failure, but it taught me. It's probably the thing in an interview, a job, inter- job interview I get asked about all the time, but it was an epic failure um
0: then similarly it took me so to why diversion. did it fail what was your big lesson out of that
1: huh, my big lesson on why u.s taco company failed one is i think we tied it too closely to taco bell going upstream from taco bell into a fast casual world was um even though the, the brand had nothing to do with taco bell it was anchored in the consumer's mind and i thought we'd get separation we did not we also opened one location and missed on our location and in restaurants location is everything we were we were one block off had we been one block over we would have been i think in a in a real uh, hot spot and then secondarily we also didn't get our liquor license we were supposed to get a liquor license and the, the city changed after we'd already booked the spot and without liquor the sort of concept uh did didn't have the profitability um i, I still stand by it. it's probably some of the best work i've ever done and from a branding from a menu construction from an experiential standpoint i, I still think it's one of my favorite things i've ever worked on but ultimately it was uh, a greatest learning space for me that I've ever had.
0: Well, I have to ask this as a professor, you know, you always wonder the people that you teach, what they remember years later, if anything. <laughs> so, so you were part of my pilot class years ago, where it was a class really about how to bring purpose to life on your brand and business yep. and, and, and the growth that will follow. What, what do you remember from that class? What, what has stayed with you? A person that came in, a concept?
1: Uh, you know, a concept. Um, so the brand tree. Right, I will tell you, and I could probably find it somewhere in in the uh, in the hard drives buried in my house. We have a, I have a brand tree for U.S. Taco Company. Um, I also put a brand tree together uh, for um, Whole Foods when I was working there. So you know, really around starting with an insight, and even and here, the brand
0: trees are really a framework for your brand and what it means and how to bring it to life with everyone inside and outside the company.
1: Yeah, 100%. And even here at Carter's today, right? That's one of the things that we have started with our positioning. You know, we're a 160-year-old company and we are a brand that's evolved. We have a 160-year-old comp- brand that's called Carter's. We have a 127-year-old brand uh, that is Ashkosh Bagash, and a number of new brands. And for each one of these brands, we've gone through the exercise of defining our purpose in today's world, defining who our consumer is, defining what our mission and our values, all those things that I learned in that pilot class around uh, the framework of the brand tree we put to use in my everyday life. That, that's probably the thing I will say I carried with me um, and have built it multiple companies um, behind the scenes, not publicly, um, but behind the scenes it still it still sticks with me.
0: I was at the Kellogg School last week teaching an exec ed class and we we really talked about brand frameworks. It's so important as a marketing leader to have some framework for behavior for your company on your brand to help everyone know their role in bringing the brand to life. It's such a powerful idea. I, th- I find that companies or brands that don't have that are not consistent over time. They're not credible. They're very fragmented. They don't have a clear idea of what they stand for in the minds of the people that they're trying to delight. So what you're bringing to life in your career, and obviously you're successful at it, I think I, that concept is a is a foundational part of it.
1: Oh, no doubt. And, and I think even in more so in today's environment. Yeah. You know, years ago, I think when people were staying at companies 40s and 50 years, that brand framework was sort of baked into the ethos of everyone who'd been there for 40 years. And they just knew, and they knew their customers. Now, with people moving around a lot more, you need that framework documented and written down and breathed and reiterated day in and day out for people to really understand how important it can be uh, for the life
0: of the company. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You are three years as CMO this summer, and I've heard you say, that you are having the time of your life. You love your role. You love this category. You love this company. So what is it about this time in your life, Jeff, that has you so jazzed?
1: You know, when my wife and I were laying in bed one night, uh, I was CMO at the time in the job before this in a, in a QSR world, my second stint in QSR. And my wife sort of turned to me at one point and said, At what point are you going to put your marketing powers, your superpowers, you know, as she calls them, your marketing superpowers, to good? She said you've worked a lot of places. You don't need a lot of fast food. Nothing. I I love the category, but she was like, it's you know, we don't serve our our kids a lot of fast food. Mm -hmm. When are you going to be able to make an impact on on kids' lives using this sort of you know gift you've been given around marketing and that you you've worked hard to to develop? And that was a, a light bulb moment for me. And you know, when the opportunity came for Carter's and I met our CEO and our president and you know, it sort of ticked. I said, these are unbelievable people. It is a category that is just ripe with emotion. You know, I always say there's probably only two categories out there in which you don't have to sort of manufacture emotion. I had to manufacture a lot of emotion around a burrito. I don't have to manufacture a lot of emotion around what it means to be a parent. Sports are the other category. I think there's a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, you know, uh, emotion sort of inlaid in there. But for me, it's a. am in a category which is ripe with emotion. I'm in a category where I think in children's apparel, no one in a lot of years has really tapped into what it means to be a parent in a modern way. I, you know, I'm, I'm a parent of a nine and an 11 year old and 11 years ago, when I had my first child, the way of raising a parent or raising a child is way different than even 11 years ago. I wasn't scrolling through TikTok at three in the morning during a feeding. I was, you know, I didn't even have video monitors. I had like a little monitor, a little sound monitor. I made myself self sound dated, but I'm in a fun category that's moving really fast. I'm a market leader. We are essentially, I always call us the Coca-Cola of baby. You know, 96% of um, parents in America have some, one of our brands in their closet, whether you're a, a young mom who's on wick or snap, or whether you're Kim Kardashian, putting your kids in our Oshkosh B'gosh overalls or a collaboration we do with Kiff, you know, we're everywhere. And so you add up the sort of category, the emotion, and then you add in just amazing people right? I, we have a, you know, culture is everything. Um, and culture at, at Carter's is unparalleled in not only in the category of apparel, but just overall. And I'm having fun. And the people that are on my team that really make all of the work possible are just unbelievable.
0: We have to get your wife on this podcast. She sounds like a, a great <laughs> management coach. Oh, my, my wife is
1: no doubt the best management coach I will ever have. She is, she is uh, you know also really good at business. She's uh, a full-time mom right now, but you're talking about a a, a, power, a powerhouse who uh, ran spreadsheets for Yeti and Nike and many other great brands. Um, but she more than that, she gets what makes me tick and what, what motivates me. And uh, I would not be anywhere close to the man, the dad, the leader I am today without her by my side.
0: Well, be sure she listens to this, Jeff. And I would have to say my wife also is my best coach and advocate and friend and is always honest with me. And I told her I was interviewing you this afternoon. And she goes, Oh my, I was just in a Carter store yesterday. And I loved it that we have one about a mile away from our house. And we have lots of family having babies right now, including my son and daughter-in-law. So she is in your store a lot, spending a lot of money and really happy about it.
1: Oh, that's good to hear. And you know, I think that the good news is that 2022 is an, I think it's a 30 year high for weddings and so once people get, once people get married, the, the, the usual step next step is kids. So uh, hopefully that's a boon for our business in the years to come.
0: I've also heard you say that a CMO job is 90% chief and 10% marketing. I would love you to talk more about that.
1: Yeah. You know, I think when I was in a, you know, an associate brand manager or brand manager, I looked up at the CMO and said, they control all of the marketing. That must be the most fun marketing job that you can imagine. And you get to do all of the marketing. And what i found as I've gone up the ranks and I, you know, as I talked to my peers who are in similar chairs to me is that, you know, 90% of what I do is about resource allocation. How do we spend the funds? How do we staff the team? How do we um, create an organizational structure to maximize our talent? Only 10% of my time is really doing the marketing strategy. I set the strategy in in partnership with my team and my insights partners and my brand partners and, and my channel leads but ultimately they have to go and bring it to life. Um, and they get to do, you know, they get to take a, a germ of an idea and, and bring it into an unbelievable, beautiful flower. Sometimes they bring the seeds more than more than that. They often bring the ideas to me and I just get to say, yes, let's go do it or let's not not do it. Um, but most of my time is spent working on things like capital allocation. Uh, you know, I sit as a executive leader, I'm sure you were, I sit on things like the risk management committee of, of a publicly traded corporation. There's different elements of my job that aren't necessarily marketing. I'm learning an unbelievable amount. And, you know, it's it's now I always say when I walk by someone's desk in the marketing department, I'm dangerous because I may say something and they may take it and run with it. Um, and I've gotta be careful uh, about what I say because I now sit in a different chair than I was when I was a brand manager. Um, but a lot of what I have to do is really around the mechanics of being part of a large organization and inspiring and leading people and not necessarily Executing, you know, which social post goes out today versus tomorrow versus the channel allocation.
0: Jeff, how'd you make that transition as you got more senior? Because when you're when you're young, you know, you're ninety percent marketing and I don't know ten percent chief yeah. whatever, and that start that kind of starts to move and evolve as you get more senior. And I totally know what you're saying here, and I think that's a great outlook on the job. Ninety percent chief, ten percent marketing. How did you yourself as a leader make that transition? How intentional was it? Did you just evolve into it? Did you have a coach or mentor who helped you with that?
1: Yeah, I've had several great men, mentors that have helped me. And then a little bit of obviously trial by fire. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the hardest thing you have to learn as you grow as a leader is letting go without fail. You have to understand that someone may, you may assign someone a task and they may not do it up to your standards. But if you were to go do it and get it up to your standards, that may be a waste of of time and energy for what for what your job and your my responsibility, my responsibility is to set the strategy, not make sure that one social post on Tuesday is perfect. And my job is to inspire and teach them. So they they do reach the level of my expectation, and hopefully exceed that. And and I think that's the hardest part as a leader is learning to let go. And so I've had several mentors across my career, um, inside of of young brands, um, at Whole Foods, um, people like yourself uh, in through business school that I've met, uh, another professor that I, I remained uh, friends with, uh, Sanjay Sood, mm-hmm. um, taught me a lot about that. And then, you know, I made a mistake. Quite frankly, I can tell you many mistakes where I did not let go and I got burned. And, you know, uh, one, of my, one of my previous CEOs, a gentleman by the name of Jason Marker, who was the president of KFC, you know, rode me pretty hard on learning to let go. And so a culmination of all those people and then those, you know, it, it's like a kid when you, when you touch the, reach up and touch the stove and get burned, you learn not to do it again. And you learn to trust and empower people and just get out of the way.
0: So your job now is primarily culture, resource allocation. Where exactly are you focused right now? What are the most important priorities for you as a CMO, as a leader right now at Carter's?
1: Yeah, I would say there's probably two or three places where, where I'm intensely focused. One is, you know, we are in one of the most wild three-year periods in the history of mankind. You know, we've had a global recession. We've had, you know, um, lots of cultural issues bubbling up. We have now, whether you think it's a recession or a stock market crash or whatever it might be, we're down thirty percent, and you have a lot of people worried, and you have, um, you know, a tough environment out there, both personally and professionally. People are exhausted. People are burnt out. Um, people are struggling uh, mentally at home in their personal lives. Um, and we've been in a work from home environment. So I would say my number one thing, my number one job is to the team, to make sure that they're in a good space, to keep them excited, to keep them in uh, engaged, to, to help them continue to learn and grow. So, so that is number one. Second is around one of the funny things that I think that's a thread throughout my career is that. I've always been involved in businesses while they look different, whether it's fast food or baby clothes, they look different on the outside. They're actually the same. I've been involved in a lot of life stage brands. So you move into Taco Bell when you turn 16 and you get the keys to your car and you go to Taco Bell where mom and dad normally wouldn't take you. And you're out of the brand by your you know, late 20s. We have to acquire every new would be parent out there in America every year. And so we have to go out and require, you know, acquire those. There's roughly 3.6 million beautiful babies born every year. I need to um, acquire as many of those parents as possible. And so, you know, for me, it's all about acquisition. How do you find all those new parents, and how do you remain relevant to those new parents with a brand that is irrelevant today as it was 160 years ago? And so, those the sort of brand relevance, you know, we just um, hired a, a a new chief a CMO, uh, you know, uh, alongside me, a chief mom officer, and Hillary Duff. And so, you know, she's joined the brand to help give parents guidance and be relevant to the next generation of parents. So I I now share my CMO title. So, you know, those are the jobs that uh, I have to do. That's a good person to share it with. It's a great person to share it with.
0: So I want to get your perspective on three issues where I think you have a unique point of view based on your background and experience. And the first one is this tension between so-called brand marketing and performance marketing. And I hate those terms and I hate Mm -hmm. talking about this tension, but it is real. I, I was recently with a group of about 80 CMOs. I polled them on the top issue they're wrestling with and most of them chose this issue. So you've wrestled with this in all of your roles. So I'd like you to talk about how do you think about this issue? Is it something you think about intentionally, What do you think is missing in our industry that makes it such a difficult choice to allocate your dollars to our performance versus brand? So I'd love you to talk a little bit about your approach to this tension, if you will.
1: Yeah. So I've got an acronym that is burned in my brain. Uh, You may
0: have heard it before. Maybe you have not. I think I know where you're going on this. Uh, Sales overnight, brand over time.
1: Sonbot is what we call it. Um, you know, I think as a CMO, you're responsible for both.
0: And that comes from young brands. That's a that very comes famous slogan within uh, philosophy within young brands.
1: Yeah. So we've got to build sales overnight and brand over time. We talk about it at Carter's of what is the right, what is the right way to turn the dial between emotion and promotion. And when I walked in the door, uh, here almost three years ago at Carter's, I, I would say we were heavily weighted towards promotion coupons. You know, I always say we were the Bed Bath & Beyond of baby. You would not walk in without one of those blue 20% off coupons to Carter's. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that, um, you know, we sort of said we need to dial up the emotion of uh, the attachment. People don't buy baby clothes because they're 20% off. They buy them because they remember the emotion of the moment of holding a child and bring them home from the hospital and what outfit they were in. And so, you know, as a, as, as a leader in marketing, you're responsible for driving the, the daily sales and you you are responsible for building the brand over time. What I've found is, you know, there's never one 50-50 or 60-40 split. It's 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 a flow, and you have to figure out during what times it's. How do you turn the dial to do which? But what I've found is, if you invest in brand over time, it will repay off in sales overnight in the future. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we've spent a lot of time uh, over the last three years at Carter's doing is building that brand, whether it be partnering with like uh, Hillary and having a chief mom officer, whether it be doing a fun little um, social thing where we're doing um, sort of blowout insurance and giving parents a, a coupon for a free bodysuit in case they ha- their kid has a, a blowout in a bodysuit and really uh, you know, attaching to that that emotion. If they're
0: wearing pampers, they won't have a blowout, you know that. Oh,
1: uh, and there's, there's always a PNG uh, man <laughs> at heart. Um, and, and so for those moments, you know, what I found is is if you can get the emotional hooks into a customer, that will pay off way more. But at the same time, during times where times are tough, you've got to turn up the, the, the promotional dial. Um, and so it's it's about a flow. Um, but if you're not doing both, you're doing it wrong, is my, my sense. I, I can't tell you in every every business I've been is slightly different about where you sit on the dial. But if you are not investing in brand, ultimately, the brand will erode over time.
0: And as you think about people that you are get promoted within Carter's and move ahead in your performance reviews and talent sessions, is it someone who has moved the brand and the sales? You look at both of those.
1: Yeah, I would say there's three components of how I think about uh, think about growing leaders. Is is yes? Can you can you build a brand? Can you drive sales? But the number three one, which is actually number one for me, which is are you building a team of the next generation of leaders? Mm-hmm.
0: By the way, at P and G, that's what the criteria was to move ahead: building a team, building a brand, building a business. You have to yep. do all three to be promoted. So, second issue I want to talk to you about is. How to manage brands like Carter's and Oshkosh-Pagosh and your exclusive brands for retail partners like Walmart, Target, Amazon. That's not easy. And it kind of is easy to say, right? You have your own brands and you have exclusive brands. But how do you work that? How do you ensure there's a strategy for growth for your retailers and their brands as well as your brands? Yeah, it
1: is probably the thing that was one of the most Appealing things about taking this job was, you know, we own a very successful direct to consumer business with over 700 stores in the United States and a robust and thriving e commerce business. But we also, as you mentioned, have exclusive brands at Target, at Walmart, at Amazon, and then, you know, at the, the, and our master brand, Carter's and Oshkosh, at Kohl's and Macy's, and you, you name it. And it is a, it is a fine balancing act. Um, The great news is we have brand differentiation with each of those exclusive brands. So we have something unique to offer our partners that allows them to have um, service a slightly different customer in a different way, um, while also remaining true to the core essence of the master brand. And so I think that's been um, one of the more the biggest learning facets for me of this job has been around managing those um, retailers who are evolving massively, as you know, you know it used to be you're working with the Target and the WalMarts and you're working with them directly. Now there's the in-house media agencies and retail agencies inside those, with the Roundels and the Walmart Connects, and um, they are great partners to us. And we worked, we have slightly different relationships with all of them, um, but they've all been very positive, and we find ways to you know make make each brand sing in a unique way for their customer set that i think uh is very powerful for for each of those individual uh wonderful retailers.
0: You know, it must be a great strength though to be able to tap into consumer insights with all those retailers with your team with your brands with your stores. That I would think is a is an enormous competitive advantage based on that business model.
1: Yeah, i i mean i think if you if you look at what's going on in the marketplace, we are sold almost in every outlet you can find across the united states, every channel, every uh every retailer. And so we get to synthesize a lot of knowledge uh, across those retailers, um, and, and understand what what makes mom tick and what is she mm-hmm. thinking about today. And so, I think that is that is a superpower of this company for the last twenty years. It's nothing bes- bespoke to me, um, but it's just something that's been a superpower. And I think it's also it's a good um, it's a good play for the for to have a portfolio. You know, if your wholesale partners and your exclusive brand partners are doing well and your retail's not it can shift or sometimes it shifts the other way. It's a nice balancing act. Um, And and ultimately, a rising tide raises all ships.
0: What has been the magic behind Carter's and Oshkosh Bagosh? I mean, they're venerable brands. I'm sure they have wonderful brand equities. I I haven't seen the data, but I'm sure they do. They've stood the test of time. They've evolved. What has been the magic of those two brands? Wow.
1: That's that's a good question. I, I think they're slightly different right? Um, I think um, for the Oshkosh Bagosh brand, it is a brand that we are constantly making sure that is relevant because it is a brand so rich and so steeped in nostalgia. When I took the job as the CMO at Carter's here, the number one thing I got sent was pictures of my friends wearing Oshkosh Bagosh as a kid. It is an iconic burned in memory that everyone has, whether it is you know, JFK Jr. crawling underneath his dad's desk in Oshkosh overalls, whether it's Prince Harry as a child with Diana in Oshkosh overalls, everyone has that memory. And it is when you talk to parents, and when we do qualitative research, it is the brand that parents tend to pack away one piece of clothing to keep and pass down to the grandchild of the Oshkosh they had as a kid, because those overalls are so iconic. Um, And they it has an unbelievable brand equity across Lots of different design elements that you may not think of, but as soon as you see them, you go, "Okay, that's Oshkosh." And so we're, we've tapped into it in a rebrand and then updating our, our branding last year and a campaign we lost we launched last year, just le- leaned into all that rich, iconic, but update updated and and really that sort of nostalgia. And I think that's a secret a secret sauce. But the question is, is how do you remain relevant to the next generation? How do you keep it alive and not rest on what what ha- used to be? So so that's I think where Oshkosh is. Carter's I think has just become so ubiquitous with baby and it is passed down and it is trusted much like a Pampers that it is so trusted. You know, when you think about when we look at all of our brand equity scores around trust and what it means to be a parent and understanding that and, and a brand I would recommend Carter's has been there and it occupied such an amazing space that in times where the, the world gets tough, you go to the brand you love and the brand you trust. And that brand has been steeped in trust for 160 years. And the power, particularly when you become a parent. The first thing you ask generally is, mom, what do, mom, dad, what do I do? And so when that that is a powerful tool to tap into. Um, and now that's changing a little bit. You still ask mom and dad, but now you watch TikTok and you watch right. all the other places, Instagram. So how are we that's the challenge that we face today is how to make sure our brands are there in the next sphere of influence going forward?
0: I want to move to the creator brief. And the first one is that you have a you have a side hustle, right? And you're, a, you're an investor and a mentor for a consumer products accelerator, which helps to get young companies off the ground through a 15-week program. So I'd like to ask you, why do you do that? And what have you learned from that to help you be a better CMO?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's about I'm constantly curious. Uh, I love to mentor both companies as well as people because I think I learn a lot more than, than I'm able to give back quite frankly. Um, I love giving back. It's I've had an unbelievable list of mentors across my career that have been very generous with their time and their knowledge. And I feel like if I can pass that down, that's something that I can do. But somewhat selfishly, I learn. Um, I see what's out in the marketplace. I, I can honestly say I don't necessarily have that entrepreneurial gene in my body. It takes someone who is wired just different than everyone else to be a true entrepreneur. And so it's not a gene that i i necessarily had so watching that up close understanding what it means learning what it means to be reminded to be able to market without money um because a lot of these startup brands they don't have the budgets that i've had throughout my career what channels are they thinking about how are they looking through it what are they thinking about from a performance and a brand perspective if you look at the brands that i think these digitally native brands that are that are growing they are doing unbelievable things and they're building brand first that's what's been really exciting you know i've been luckily to be um, close and see a couple of the brands up close through the accelerator, through friends that, that, um, build other brands. Um, and, and you look at a brand that, um, you know, uh, I introduced to, to, to whole foods, they're having some problems and I knew whole foods and in, so I helped make an introduction for them, liquid death, uh, spring water. Right. And I have have not advised them at all other than helping them, you know, introducing them to someone at whole foods that I knew to get in, in, in a big way, but what they've done from building that brand to going against the grain, to you know tapping into an ins- multiple brilliant insights they have built a community an army of followers um without really spending a lot of money at the outset on traditional performance marketing and so when you see some of these these tactics you think how can i apply them to a 160 year old brand how do i bring that insight to life inside the confines of corporate america and so that's that's probably why i lean in and try and Uh, continue to to message and learn, you know, uh, the last wave, I've been advising a company actually out of Ohio, out of Cleveland, uh, a startup brand uh, that does applesauce. Um, And, you know, he's a a young entrepreneur. He's been doing this since he was 15. It's his grandfather's recipe. Um, It's called Holmes watering applesauce. I'll give him a plug here. He's just a wonderful human being. um, And he's sort of innovating in a space that if you've been in the applesauce shelf it's it's pretty pretty standard and he's doing some interesting things in the space.
0: What have you found that trips up most young companies that you've worked with through the accelerator?
1: You know, I think a lot of people have brilliant ideas, but it all comes down to the ability to execute and operate. Um, it is an incredibly complex environment, particularly the ones I do. I do a lot of CPG accelerator work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot around the execution and knowing that you need uh, to edit in order to amplify. And a lot of these brands, they wanna be all things to all people out of the gate. And what you find is the brands that do it really well edit to amplify. How do you become one thing and know who you are so that everyone can understand who you are instead of wanting to be you know, a brand that does 14 product lines out of the gate? you know, That's one of the things I think Liquid Death did so well. They did one great skew and did it better than anyone else in the category and broke through. Um, and, I, and I think that's where you see a lot of brands fail is they, they try and do too much and that adds operational complexity, it adds brand understanding complexity for the consumer, the consumer gets confused. And if I think about it that way, it's that they don't edit to amplify.
0: What did you learn about marketing at NASA? I mean,
1: I always felt out of my depth at NASA. Uh, I always say I was the dumbest person to ever work at NASA. Um, there's, there's incredibly brilliant people there. What I, what I learned was about curiosity. You know, these, these individuals, these scientists spend their life searching for something that hasn't yet to be proven. They're out there scouring the universe for signals of um, stars, of radio signals, trying to find the signal within the noise. And for me, the ability to find the signal within the noise is what's always made me curious. And my signal within the noise, the noise I'm looking at is the consumer landscape, and I'm searching for that signal, but they're out there looking truly at the noise of the universe and trying to find that signal for whether it be extraterrestrial life, or whether it be uh, a new element out there um, in the vastness of space. So really for me, it, it's really been about trying to find the signals and the noise.
0: I love it. Very, very, very zen in a way, right? Somewhat. I don't know about that. But. I, You know, this might be a coincidence, but my wife and I were in the UK for about 10 days recently and I saw a lot of t-shirts of NASA. So I don't know if you're the people who have followed you are doing a great job in licensing, but I saw an awful lot of apparel with their brand on it.
1: You know, I think it is probably, you know, one of the best brands in the world. A, it's got an iconic logo that everyone knows the sort of the the, the meatball logo. Yeah. It's, and then even if you think about the seventies, there was recently, they revived the design book of the original script of that red NASA script. I I can't remember the designer that did it, but it was absolutely another brilliant turn. But I think everyone loves, you know, the the insight, you know, uh, of what NASA's mission is. And, and sort of that true that true value statement of for all mankind, that's mm-hmm. something everyone can get behind. And so I think there is this notion of uh, just a cool factor to NASA, but also a yearning for everyone to be part of something bigger than themselves.
0: What brand is making an impact on you today? Not counting one of your brands. Not counting one of my brands.
1: I would say that the brands that are making an impact on me, I don't have a lot of time. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a CMO. Uh, but first and foremost, I'm a husband and a father. And I, as I think we were talking about, you know, maybe before we started, this is I, I'm coaching little league baseball, uh, every afternoon and, and all weekends I spend. So I don't have a lot of time. Um, but what I've sort of come into over the last few years is I, the one place I get pleasure out of is shoes. And so my wife being ex Nike, I have a very unbelievable, you know, spot in my heart for air Jordan what those, what that brand is doing, brand Jordan has done. Um, and so I'm a shoe collector. Um, that's probably my, my one vice is collecting shoes. And so, you know, whether it be Nike or Adidas and what Adidas and easy have done together, um, with some of these collaborations that are happening, those are what's capturing my the spare moments of, of, of time that I do have, you know, I, I, I promise my wife, I won't spend any money on shoes. So I buy shoes and sell and trade. I, you know, it's it's a total hobby. Uh, I'll buy a pair, it'll go up in value. I'll sell those and use the profits to buy a pair for myself. So it it is one of those things. But they've created a, an entire culture around obsession, uh, of, of around uh, of around that that sneakerhead culture. So that's probably you know Air Jordan. I think Jordan brand Jordan, I should say, has done it better than anyone else. And then a, a, a plethora of smaller brands. You know, I, I'm intrigued by you know some of these brands that get, that are unbelievable at targeting me. There's a there's a, a hat brand called Melon, um, which is you know a sort of high end baseball cap uh, with some you know definite um, elements of performance, but also probably some really great marketing. And then lastly, uh, another D2C brand would be Tacovas, the boot brand out of Austin. I was at Whole Foods uh, and was there. Uh, when they were sort of roaring into life. And so this sort of direct consumer, and I, I became a lover of cowboy boots just as much as Jordan's. Um, and you'll catch me in cowboy boots. So I think those brands are doing some interesting things in terms of building, especially Takovas, knowing they need in-store re- in-person retail and that retail theater as much as they need a great sort of uh, e-commerce
0: business. You're a great blend of creative and analytical. How do you keep both sides of your personality sharp?
1: I would say... I simply get really good people around me, right? So, um, if I were to look back and say Strengths Finder, my strengths is probably on the creative side. My, my weaker side is the performance side. I, I was really good at math, but it wasn't something from an analytics that, that came naturally, and it wasn't something in the QSR that was really heavily weighted in QSR. It was only once I got into grocery and looked at the analytics of shelf placement and all the things and IRI data and all those things that you look at uh, as a traditional CPG uh, manager and and um, coming up, and so. I would say i've really put an emphasis on finding other great creative minds that challenge me i've got one of those on my team uh today that that challenges me creatively and pushes our our agency partners and pushes me to think and similarly finding great analytics leaders to to help strengthen a skill that i am not that sharp at so I, i really it comes down to people more than you know my ability to study um, it's really around sort of getting those people the sort of iron sharpens iron and getting people that will challenge you and push you further along than you could ever be just by reading in a book or trying to learn on your own.
0: You've been a pretty good leader over time in, in bringing popular culture into your brands, into their messaging, into their story, into their marketing, into their narrative. And you continue that today. What's been your lesson on doing that effectively?
1: You know, we are in the, uh, I don't know who coined the phrase, whether it was uh, Gary Vaynerchuk or, or one of those, right? Right. Um, you know we are in the um, the attention economy, right? And you know what one of the buzzwords or phrases we use internally is we have to produce content at the speed of culture, and we have to capture the public's imagination and we have to be relevant today. And so that for for me and it was something I learned probably at Taco Bell's where we is really where I got a sort of boot camp and and masters in marketing at the speed of culture was how do we turn those moments of culture into marketable moments. You know, at at Taco Bell, we basically were launching the first ever mobile ordering app. It didn't exist. This is pre Uber Eats, pre DoorDash, back in 2010. And we were we sort of thought, how are we going to get people to talk about Taco Bell? How are we gonna talk about ordering through an app? It's not and so you know, what we ended up doing was, um, we called it the Taco Bell blackout, and we blacked out every social media account and like erased all of our followers and you know, basically, Said we're going to turn off the machine of marketing and hope someone notices. And it was probably the most un- unnerving three hours of my life sitting there watching a clock tick going. Is anyone going to notice that our Twitter followers went from several million to zero? That all that our profile icons across everywhere is black because that's how people were starting to communicate in 2010, 2011, 2012. And then that first that first tweet that comes out I was like, what happened to Taco Bell's followers? And then you watch the snowball, and suddenly we're on TMZ. And they're asking, you know, actors in the street, do you know where, do you know where Taco Bell is? And suddenly we're in culture in a way that we could never have done with a great media buy or with a great um, marketing campaign. Um, and so whether that be, you know, it's at Carl's Jr, we did a, um, a 420 burger where we infused uh, barbecue sauce with CBD. And that was a buzz that was going on across the cultural landscape. And suddenly we had a line wrapped around the block and we're serving more burgers in the first hour than we thought we'd serve all day. And it made national press, it was only in one location. So I think it is, and now we're doing the same thing, you know, with Carter's and how do you find those moments of infusing culture um, into the brand? And so that's something that, that I think great brands, it used to be a nice to have. It's a must have now. Mm-hmm. If you're not in culture, you will be irrelevant and and a brand uh, must remain relevant at all times.
0: Who's been the most inspiring person in your life? My dad, bar none, my
1: dad. Um, uh, I, I uh, would not be the human I am today, the leader I am today, the father I am today. He had nothing to do with marketing. He's a, you know, he's a he's a numbers person um, on the business side, but he is probably one of the greatest leaders. Uh, I've got a chance to work around. He worked in universities across his career, you know. But he stood up, uh, you know, and was really made a point of advancing diversity and, and inclusion throughout his career uh, in the university environment. That's you know had a big impression on me. And he taught me, you know, about always doing the right thing. And if you do the right thing, it will pay off in spades. And really, you know, he mentored tons of people that I'm still friends with today that, you know, a, almost building a mentor network for me that when I grew up and those people that he mentored now have played a role in my life, you know, he has been sort of the stalwart and sort of, if you will, the measuring stick mm-hmm. by my success. And so while, you know, I would like to think uh, I'm, I've done a good job living up to that, uh, you know, he's got a thirty plus year head start and I've got a lot of ways to go to catch up to him
0: what's his best advice been to you? be
1: yourself be true um you know I think he has been the person who said that you know even from a small child i'm I'm marched to be a, my own drummer um, i'm I'm uh, a little bit you know a little bit eccentric at times and a little bit goofy and uh, you look know, I'm wearing a a orange shirt, Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Uh, you know young brands uh, and throughout my career I've worn crazy colored pants uh, I'm more comfortable in jeans uh, with with post covid but I used to wear bright pink, yellow, green pants. I'm just, that's me. And you know, he, he told me when I was, I remember in eighth grade, I was trying to figure out, you know, what was next and going to high school and all this. And he said, just, just be yourself, um, be you. Um, and that's the best version of you you can be. And so I've remained true to being who I am, uh, and always, always doing the right thing. And, you know, uh, always doing the right thing has gotten me uh, to a good place. And so, you know, I'm just thankful, uh, um, every day that, he, that I got to be uh, born to to that man.
0: That's a good place to stop, but we're going to have one more question. You, you were my student, so I, I, I would be remiss if we ended this podcast without giving you a chance to ask a question to your previous professor in a different time in our lives.
1: I know it's been, uh, gosh, 10 or 12 plus years since I was in your class. You know, I, I would love to ask the question of you, you know, knowing your history of what I think of as some of, uh, some of the more iconic brand turns with pampers over your career and uh, focusing on wellness, when do you know you're on to the right mission and values that's always the thing I feel like i'm 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 always wrestling with is, is is how do you how do you how do you find you know we're always looking for that that insight that understanding what is it that you hear or see or feel that makes you think I'm on the right path
0: This is going to sound really simple, but I think when you can explain that path to people across your company outside of marketing and they're excited by it, they understand it, they want to get on board with it, they want to bring it to life, they want to be part of it. So to me, when there is a level of buzz and excitement across functions, disciplines, regions, whatever it might be about that you know you're, you're onto something. You know, one practice I, I did this when I was a young brand manager, every time we had a new ad, and my brand at that time was Jif Peanut Butter, it was a pretty big ba- brand for P&G back then. Every new ad, and this was a, you know the days of most of the budget being in TV advertising, every new ad I would take to our factory, and I'd ask the, I'd ask the plant manager if I could stay for a 24-hour period and show every shift, the advertising, and ask them, what do they think? is this us? And is, are, do they have any ideas to make it better, to make the next one better, to make this one better? And, and there was, there, that, that was so good on so many levels. I learned, they felt part of something. It, it, it brought down some traditional silos back then. And, and if I had an ad that did not resonate with them, it was, it was a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we didn't go forward with it. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's the best way to tell if you're onto something.
1: Oh, that's very simple. And, and I, I think couldn't be, couldn't be more true. So I'm going to take that one and, and uh, write it down right now.
0: Jeff, give my best to your wife, to your dad. I know you have a <laughs> baseball game tonight. You're coaching all the best with that. Nothing like baseball games with nine-year-olds and 11-year-olds.
1: Right? Oh, nothing, no, nothing quite like it. Uh, and especially when it's in 95 degree weather. So we got to keep the kids cool and healthy. Keep that Hawaiian on. shirt on. Yes, definitely. Well, it was great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. And it was a pleasure to see you after uh, 10 years, 10 years post
0: too long. uh professorship. too long. Let's meet at a carter sometime. I'll be there buying some baby clothes, right? Yep, there we go. I like it. All right, Jeff, thanks again. Thank you. That was my conversation with Jeff Jenkins. Three takeaways from this one for your brand business and life. The first one, the importance of having a brand framework to guide the actions on your team in bringing your brand to life. Great companies have explicit frameworks that align everyone to the brand's purpose and how it will go to market. Jeff talked beautifully about the importance of that concept, which he learned back at UCLA Anderson when I was a professor. He talked about how he has brought that to life in his career. The second takeaway, we should all be more chief than marketer. He talked about being 90% chief, 10% marketer, and the most important adjustment a leader makes as they get more senior is they become more of a chief. He said the hardest lesson he learned was learning how to let go. Third takeaway, how important it is to have a coach who loves you, who is honest with you, who cares for you. He talked about his wife and his father as tremendous life coaches and business coaches. It was very sweet, and I think it's an important concept for all of us to think about. No one cares more about us than our family.